Well, great singing, great worship, and as Cactus Campus and Northridge Campus and our chapel and those of you online join us, uh, welcome for our, our time in the Word. Uh, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes talking to you uh, about a, uh, something that might seem off topic but really ties into our church, and then we'll, we'll get to our, our Ten Commandments series. As many of you know, our church has for 60 years been integrally involved in missions, as all churches should. Uh, we send and have missionaries all throughout the world. We have two villages in Tanzania that we support. We're over, obviously, in Asia, South America, Mexico, uh, Middle East. I mean, anywhere that there's a need for the gospel, our church has been and is involved in. And about 12 years ago, after I'd been here a couple of years, uh, we decided to add a, 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 another component to our missions, and that was Europe. Uh, not just Eastern Europe, but also Western Europe. And at the time, some people said to me, why? Why are you adding Europe to the mission field? Well, I would simply ask, have you been there? Uh, Europe, which used to be the, the center, especially Western Europe, of Christianity, has fallen on incredibly difficult times. I, I mean, the gospel is, is all but shut down in Europe, and churches are hurting uh, greatly. And so we decided to roll up our sleeves and get involved. And though we're doing a lot over there right now, one of the organizations that we work most closely with is called Forum of Christian Leaders, and they put on an annual event that's probably one of the biggest events, uh, Christian events of the year in Europe, and they do it in, in Hung or I'm sorry, in Poland, and the event's called the European Leadership Forum. It takes place in May, and about six to 700 world-class Christian leaders come from 40 different European countries to this resort place for a week, and there's a conference that goes on, and they're just poured into like crazy uh, with Christian training and, and how to better take their area for Christ. Uh, they're scientists, artists, business leaders, pastors, people from all walks of life that are tops in their industry, and they come for the European Leadership Forum. And we fell in love with what they were doing, again, about 10, 12 years ago, and so our church said, what can we do to help? And it takes just about 100 volunteers to put this week on, and so for the last decade, we've been providing about 30 to 35 volunteers every year. We pack up, we go to, to, uh, to Krakow, Poland, to this drive two hours, this little town called Wisła, and we help put on this conference. I call it a mission trip like none other, because you're not digging a ditch like you would in Africa. You're not running an Awana club like you might in other areas. This is a trip where we're doing a lot of administrative things. We're running registration, we're monitoring rooms, we're operating cameras, we're, we're, we're driving people to and from the airport. Anything we can do to make this thing a success. And now we even run all the production of it, of all the plenary events and all the speakers, we, we, we produce all of that. And so our church is very involved. Why am I bringing this to you? Well, for the last two years, they haven't had it. Uh, they've had to have it online because of obviously COVID, but this next May, they're planning on having it again uh, in, in Poland there. And they're short on volunteers. Not from our church, but from other places, there's just a need uh, for, for a, a higher volume of volunteers or at least people to take other people's place. And so we're bringing it to you today to say that if you had any interest in joining us in our work in Western and Eastern Europe, this might be a great opportunity for you. 
It occurs the third week of May next year. There's an information table out in, in here at Shea and then also at Northridge Cactus. Go to your Welcome Center. But we'd love you to stop by the information table and find out a bit more about how you might get involved again next May. Also, if you're just interested in what's happening in Europe, uh, tonight here at the Shea campus, uh, we're going to be giving a presentation at 6 p.m. in the venue on the strategic nature uh, of Europe as, as, uh, for the gospel. And it's going to be given by Dr. Greg Pritchard, who's the head of Forum of Christian Leaders. He's based in Chicago, and he's here today with us. And so Greg is going to give this presentation. I've heard it before. It's outstanding. It will be a great introduction to any of you who might be interested in why the birthplace of a lot of our modern Christianity needs us again now. And so again, we just ask you to pray for us in this. Uh, consider volunteering. I'm going to be going this May. I don't go every year, but they've asked me to do the plenary sessions in the morning uh, to the leaders. And so I'll be going. And so it'll be great to have you uh, join me in this. Now, we're in the final stretch of our look at the Ten Commandments. We spent two setup weeks clarifying how we approach the commandments, and now we've spent the last seven weeks going through the first seven of the ten. And today, we get to the Eighth Commandment, which simply says, don't steal. And I know how you guys think. You're thinking, well, I haven't done that lately, so next, not so fast. There is more to this commandment than meets the eye. So what am I gonna do right now before we dive in? I'm gonna pray, why don't you guys bow with me. God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who not just gives us the impetus to live life your way, but the illumination that our minds need to know what to do. I pray, God, that as we crack open your book now to this rather straightforward commandment that contains a lot more than most people think, that you give us ears to, hear and eye, ears to hear and eyes to see that which you have already revealed to us. And that's my prayer. In Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So if you and I were having a cup of coffee this morning, given the topic that I have been immersed in all week in preparing for this message today, I'm telling you, I would look you in the eye and I'd only have one question for you, and it's this. So what did you steal? this week. What did you steal this week? And I promise you there'd be two types of responses to that question that I would pose to you. There'd be a minority response and a majority response. The minority of people would say to me, if I said to you today, you know, what'd you steal this week? They'd say, how did you know? How did you know that I took something this week that, I, that wasn't mine? And I'd say, well, we'll get to you in a minute. But the majority response would go something like this. You'd say to me, well, what are you talking about, Jamie? I didn't steal anything this week. I'm not a thief. And you'd most likely be wrong. <laughs> you'd most likely would not be seeing the full intent of the commandment. My guess is you did steal something <laughs> this week, and that makes you a thief, which is why I'd ask you, what'd you steal this week? The Eighth Commandment is short and sweet. It's not hard to memorize. It says in Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. And at first glance, it's a wonderful buffer for a proper society. It's a great addition to our personal value system and moral standards. It's something that just about every thinking person on planet Earth, religious or irreligious alike, agrees with. 
The New Testament repeats this command in Ephesians 4 when Paul says, he who steals must steal no longer. It's certainly hard to argue with. It makes sense on all levels. Don't steal. Don't take what is not yours. And yet, like the commandment to murder that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, most, if not many of us, let's just be honest in the house of God, most, if not many of us, just don't think this applies to us. I mean, we think, well, I haven't really taken anything lately, Jamie. I'm more sophisticated and godly than that. And so, uh, what's next? (laughs) Well, what's next is lying, and we're really going to get you on that one. (laughs) But but, but before we get to that, I'm telling you, this idea of not stealing is worth parking in front of, because as I said, there's more here than, than what we initially think. And so let's take a deep dive into what the Bible means by stealing here. Obviously, the operative word out of the four words in the commandment, I put it in bold yellow, is the word steal. What does it mean by steal? It's the Hebrew word ganab, or probably more pronounced ganav, and it appears some 40 times in the Old Testament, and there's two critical things I want you to know about this word, an easy thing and a much more difficult thing. The easy thing is its definition. We know a lot about this word. Its definition is almost identical to our English definition, which is good, because here's the definition of ganav. It means to acquire something in a dishonorable way, to take something that's not rightfully yours, to take something without the owner's consent, (laughs) which is almost the identical definitions you would get if you looked it up in Webster's Dictionary of Stealing. And this can be done overtly, where you just literally take something that's not yours, or it can be done covertly, through manipulation and deceit, like Jacob did when he stole Esau's birthright. But either way, you guys get it. It's stealing, it's grabbing something for yourself that God says is not yours, it's somebody else's. And so far, so good, it's pretty straightforward, we get it. But then there's a second key thing that Bible experts point out about this command, and it's here, at least I begin to sweat a little bit, and that is, now watch this, that this is one of the few commands of the 10 that does not have an object to it. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. It's one of the few commands that doesn't have an object. In other words, unlike some of the other commands where the verb has an object, honor, thy father and mother, or don't covet your neighbor's wife and oxen, or don't bear false witness against your neighbor, you getting the idea of verb and object. This one doesn't say that. It just says, don't steal. But then the question becomes, steal what? <laughs> the object is left open-ended. It's left not mentioned and undefined. And so when you trace how this word then, ganav, is used in the other 39 verses in the Old Testament, which I did this week, now the answer comes because it literally explodes stealing and what stealing means. Let me show you what I mean. The first usage is something we're all familiar with, and it's the usage of possessions. And over half the contexts of the Hebrew word ganav in the Old Testament, it refers to taking somebody else's possessions. There's a great story early on in Genesis that most of you know where Jacob's on the run from Esau, and, uh, and, and at one point he's with Laban, 
and, and Laban makes him work to marry his daughter Rachel. And, and at one point, Jacob and Rachel want to get away from Laban, so they're planning on running away. And, and it says this, as it describes them running away, it, it says in Genesis 31, 19, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole Ganav, her father's household gods. The gods probably being some sort of idol that was valuable. They, they wanted it maybe to sell it or hawk it, or they wanted it for the road. But the point is clear. She stole somebody else's possessions, possessions that were not hers, obviously breaking the commandment there. We, we all get this. This is what most of us think of when we think of stealing. But then, as we trace this word further, throughout the Old Testament, we find another form of stealing. Watch this, and that's the stealing of truth. It's actually found in the next verse in the story I just told you. Because as, as, as Jacob and Rachel start to run away, look at what it says in the next verse. It says, and Jacob tricked Ganav, same word for stealing, Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. Fascinating use of this word. It's essentially saying this, that there was a truth out there that Laban didn't know, and that's that his daughter and son-in-law were about to run away, and Jacob stole that truth from Laban by tricking him and not telling him. And all I know is that when I saw that this week, I thought, well, you and I do that all the time. There's a truth of a situation, and we don't want another <clears throat> to know about it, so we hide it, we conceal it, we take it for ourselves, and we don't share it with one that it is due. It's stealing, ganav, but in this case, you're stealing truth. And then as we continue to follow this word through the Old Testament, we find an even further type of stealing. This one really got me, and that is that you steal affections and allegiance to another person. What does that mean? There's a great story in 2 Samuel 15 that'll make you feel good about your own kids. If any of you are like thinking my kids are rebellious, read 2 Samuel about David and his son Absalom. Because Absalom was a, a veritable train wreck as a son. He was rebellious, he was headstrong, and eventually he wanted to take the kingdom away from David. And so at one point, Absalom sets himself up at the city gate, and as all the, the men came in from battle or from business, he, he tried to, to get them to give their allegiance to him and not to his father, David. Here's how it's described. It says, then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land, that every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice, connotation being not David. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole Ganav, the hearts of the men of Israel. Wow. So same word used in, in the eighth commandment here, do not steal, is used here in the context of stealing the affection and allegiance of another. And again, as I saw that, I thought, well, we do that today. I mean, you and I get others to see our cause, right or wrong, and then we get them to come to our side in a disagreement. The Bible says when we do that, we're stealing the affections and allegiance of another. We're breaking the Eighth Commandment. And it doesn't stop there. Some of you are saying, please stop. No, no, we got a lot further to go. 
There's even further use of this word as we trace it through the Old Testament, and that's the stealing of ideas and words. Whoa. And this time, God shows up on the scene and speaks. Look at Jeremiah 23, 30. God is speaking. He says, therefore, behold, I am against the prophets who steal Ganav, my words from one another. Whoa. You're saying, what's going on here? Here's what's happening here. You know, Israel's messed up by this time. and really messed up. And, and God's given words to his prophets. So God gives a word to a prophet. And then the prophet runs to another prophet and says, guess what God said over here? And that prophet goes, really, God said that? And then that prophet says, here's what God says. And God's saying, I didn't give that word to you. I gave it to this guy over here, and you're stealing it as if somehow I gave it directly to you. We have a word for this today. What's the word? Plagiarism. It's when you take an idea, a thought, or words that are not yours, but you claim them as your own. And again, what you need to see here is that the Bible says that's stealing. It's stealing. So add it all up. It's fascinating when you trace this word. It begins with possessions, but then it adds truth, affections, allegiance, ideas, words, all tied to this idea of stealing ganav, as outlined in the commandment. The Old Testament adds all sorts of objects to a commandment that doesn't give us an object, it literally explodes stealing into all sorts of realms and possibilities that go way beyond mere possessions. And once you and I begin to get this, that there are a myriad of types of stealing, plenty of objects other than possessions, the list then explodes in our own lives at this point. J.I. Packer has written a little commentary that we keep referencing in this series. We have it in our bookstore on the, uh, on the Ten Commandments, and he has his own list in this, in this commentary. It really convicted me. He, he said, uh, we steal time from other people. When we contract to work for somebody, and we'll give them this much time for this much pay, and then we fudge on the time but expect the same pay, you just stole time. He said, we steal money through unpaid debts. When you promise to pay a debt and then, and then you don't pay that debt, even though you probably could, you're actually stealing the money. Romans 13, eight says, oh, no one anything except the debt to love. And then this one really got me. He says, we steal reputation from others. You go, how do you do that? He says, gossip. He says, whenever you gossip about somebody, if I say to somebody, hey, did you hear about my friend Ed? Did you hear about Ed? And it's not positive, what am I doing? I, I'm bad-mouthing Ed and I'm stealing the reputation he has by my gossip. Dennis Prager in his commentary has his own list. The one that really got me in Prager's commentary was he said, we steal dignity from others. And you go, how's that? We steal dignity from them when we humiliate them and dress them down. That when I treat Pierre in a certain way and I dress him down privately or publicly and I make him feel a lot worse about himself than God wants him to feel. I've just humiliated him and I've taken it, I've stolen his dignity from him. And then I thought, as hopefully you're thinking right now, I thought, well, Rasmussen, what's your list? <laughs> Where do you tend to steal things? And you know, as a pastor in the public eye, you know what I, I tend to be tempted to steal all the time? Is I tend to, to be tempted to steal credit that's due to others that I want for myself. Or even worse, Glory that's due to God because of what he did, I tend to take for myself. 
I, I got help this week because I've been immersed in, in my study of the Eighth Commandment, but uh, this week I came this close, this close to uh, stealing credit. About three weeks ago, I was meeting with our executive pastor and we were uh, talking about uh, what's going on with the economy and, and the rampant inflation. And, and you know, we pay most of our staff here like the school system pays, so you know, they're not getting rich off of this and, and, and it's, it's difficult. And so we were talking and I said, you know, I think we need to do something mid-year. We function on a mid-year for our staff, like early, right before Christmas, to help mitigate you know, this, this runaway inflation. And so Scott and I were talking about it and we came up with a plan and he does what he always does. He writes it down so well and we don't have the authority to do that. So we took it to the administrative council of our church, which are the, the five elders that then filter everything to the elder board and the admin council said, yeah, that's a great idea. And so then we took it to the entire elder board and, and to an elder, to an elder, they all said, that's a great idea. And so this is all now passed and this last Tuesday we were having a, our all staff meeting before the Christmas season, about 200 staff to get together and I walked into Scott's office and I said to him, hey, are you planning on sharing this with the staff? And typical Scott, he said, well, I was gonna write him a nice note, you know, because he does a lot in writing, and I'm very verbal. So I said, well, do you mind if I share it with them today? And he said, no, I think it'd be great. And here's where it gets tricky. I walk back to my office, and I wasn't gonna write anything down. I was just crafting my words in my head about how I wanted to share this great news with our staff. And I wanted to find a way to let them know that this was my idea. I wanted to find a way to let them know that this was my way of taking care of them. And, and yet I didn't want to sound braggadocious or prideful, or even though I was, or anything like that. And so typical pastor think, I thought, you know, well maybe I'll make a joke out of it. Maybe I'll tell them what we're doing and say, hey, I know I might lose my heavenly reward, but this was my idea, ha, ha, ha. And I don't know if you've ever had God speak you to your spirit, but he speaks to my spirit regularly. And I don't know if he used these words or not, but what God spoke to my spirit right at that moment is, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then my very, very next thought was, you're an idiot because, you know, you're trying to take credit for something. Jamie, do you really think you're the only one that thought of this? That out of all of our wonderful elders and leaders, that you're the only one reading the business news and thinks that maybe there, our staff needs some help in this. And do you think that really you had the authority to do this? You didn't. You had to go to your executive pastor and then admin council and then the elders. And ultimately, this is what came to my mind, this is God's deal. God's the ones that blessed your church. He's the one who's provided the resources. There's only one reason you can do this and it's because of the hand of God and by that point in my thinking, it took about 30 seconds for all those thoughts to come to my head. I just thought, you really are an idiot. Just share it with them. And don't try to take credit for something that's not anything that you should take credit for. I think you're starting to get the idea. There's a lot more to stealing than meets the eye. And so now and only now, are you ready for our main point today? It sums up all that we've looked at today and it's a rich and profound understanding of the Eighth Commandment. And I hope you never forget it because here it is. And that is that theft involves taking, say the word with me, anything. Taking anything that's not yours. It's not just possessions. It's not just tangible things, though that's certainly covered in the commandment. 
even intangible things that you and I are tempted to take away from others every day, like truth that they need to know about, allegiance that they are due, affections of others, ideas, time, unpaid debts, reputation, dignity, credit that is due them, or glory that is due God. Theft involves anything that's not yours. <laughs> so maybe now you know why I would ask you if you and I were having a cup of coffee today, and some of you are saying, I don't wanna have a cup of coffee with you, but if we did, I'd say, what did you steal this week? Because that's the question I ask myself. Because my guess is most of us are not going to be convicted of a felony by the authorities around us for breaking American laws or Scottsdale laws. We haven't done that. But if we're honest, we are convicted by God of stealing in other ways, ways that are just as real in his economy, truth, affection, time, reputation, dignity, credit, anything that doesn't belong to us. It belongs to someone else or God. Are you open to the full intent of the command? And, and most importantly, guys, here's really what it is. Is your heart and your spirit sensitive to start applying this to your life? As most of you know, I grew up in a, a small town outside of Cleveland, Ohio, real small town, and uh, I grew up with kind of traditional values, small town Americana. We hardly ever went to church, but my parents believed in the Ten Commandments and, and taught us these. And as a result of that, I've only ever stolen one physical object in my life, but I'll never forget it. I, I was in late elementary school, early junior high, and I, I was going through one of the stores with my best buddy Nick back then, and uh, we were sitting in this one store, and, and, and somebody had come out with these, this sheet of beautiful stickers that were for each NFL team. And uh, each week they were highlighting a different NFL team, and that week was not the Browns, it was, it was Washington. And, uh, and, and, I, and I looked at this sheet, and I thought, ooh, it was bright colors, I, I wish I could have that, but I didn't have any money from my allowance left. And I said to, to Nick, I said, I'd love to have these, these stickers. And he, he always got me in trouble. He looked at me and said, just take it. He said, no one's looking. I got you blocked, just take it. And, and because I always listened to Nick, I took it. <laughs> and I put it in my coat and we walked out. It, it didn't take but a day, maybe less. I had bad dreams. I felt super guilty. I, I stole something that wasn't mine. And then it got worse because Nick couldn't keep a secret. He told all my friends. <laughs> that Jamie stole these stickers from, from, from the drugstore. And uh, now I got this fear of being found out. I mean, not only do I feel guilty, but now I'm like, I'm gonna get arrested and I'm gonna be found out and all this. And so I did what every kid would do. I went to the woods and I buried those stickers. <laughs> I wasn't gonna come clean. I buried those things. Somebody texted me at the last service and said, can I go dig them up? No, you may not. They're, they're buried down there somewhere. I don't even know exactly where. And, and, and I just did everything I could to put it behind me, but here I am, 57 years old, and I still remember it. I wasn't even a believer back then, but the commandments apply to all of us. And uh, my conscience, my conscience was pricked, and I never did something like that again. Here's my point in telling you that story. It's one thing for an elementary school kid or a junior high kid to do something stupid like that and feel guilty, that's a good thing. But I wonder, 
as I've gotten older, if my spirit is still as sensitive to the things of God as it was back then. Especially when you posture this commandment, not in light of taking a pencil at work or fudging on your taxes or something like that, but when you posture it in light of reputation, dignity, how we treat others, gossip. Are we just as sensitive to those, am I, as I was in junior high to stealing a sticker? Because here's what I know, and, and, and it's confession time in the House of God gang, there are plenty of times where, where I do something seemingly small. I might dress down Jim you know, with a word to him, or I might do something, and I know it's not right, but I just sort of do a drive-by to it, even though the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. And instead of following up on that, as we'll talk about in a minute, I just sort of blow past it and say, I got bigger fish to fry. That wasn't a very big sin, that was a small sin. And they're all covered by the blood of Christ anyway, so why should I pay attention to that? See, that's how we're tempted to approach this. But God says, no, you just broke the commandment. You just stole from a brother. Are we just as sensitive now as we were when we were kids and our conscience was a bit sensitive? I find one of two things happens as we get older. You gotta laugh at this, right? I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's funny and both pathetic. I find old people do one of two things. I'm getting there fast. We either get more sensitive to the things of God or we get more hardened to the things of God. Amen? Chapel, amen. We do. We either get more sensitive. Very few people stay the same. And the older we get, I hope for most of us, we get more sensitive to the move of God in our lives, to his spirit, to the church, to those around us at least for me, rather than more hardened. So what do we do with this? Now that we know the richer, fuller intent and application of the commandment, what do we do when we cross the line and take what is not ours? And thankfully, there's a very clear and workable way to find freedom here, but I'm just gonna warn you right now, you're not gonna like it. And you say, why? Well, because it's really easy to understand and it's really hard and humbling to do. So you ready for it? It's what God says. It's clearly outlined in his word. I'll show you. But here's what he says we need to do when we have broken the eighth commandment in any form. And that is that we repent through ceasing and providing restitution. We repent. We turn through ceasing, stop doing what you're doing, and providing restitution. And the part that you don't like right now, let's just all be honest, is that last part, right? Like if I just said, just stop doing it and bury it in the ground and move on, like an adolescent would do with stickers, you'd say, oh, thank you, Pastor, that's so helpful. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that not only do you need to stop stealing, but if you've stolen someone's dignity, reputation, whatever you've done, you gotta make it right. Proverbs 6 uses that word ganav, and it says this. It says, people do not despise a thief if he steals ganav to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold and he will give all the goods of his house. Ooh, we, we like the first half of that verse, right? It's like les miserables, right? Yeah, hey, people get it if a guy steals because he's hungry. Like, you know, let's, let's make a play about that and sing a bunch of songs to it and talk about redemption and all that. And, you know, we all love that. 
But that second half is really hard to swallow. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold and he will give all the goods of his house. How do we make sense of that? The proverb actually, you need to understand how to read proverbial literature in the Old Testament because if you take everything literal here, meaning everything scientifically, it doesn't make sense. Right, Carrie? I mean, you read this and you just go, wait a second, why would the guy steal if he had a house? Why would he steal if he had a bunch of goods in the house? That doesn't make sense. You're not supposed to get hung up on that. Proverbs have a main point and usually one point only. And you're supposed to grab on to the, to, the, to the proverb and say, what's the main point? And what's the main point here? The main point is, is that if you steal, even if you feel justified in your stealing, even if you drag down someone's reputation because you think they deserve it, even if you dress down and humiliate somebody because you think they deserve it, the reality is if you steal, that restitution does need to be made. That's the point of the proverb here. That all of us are held accountable by God for the things that we do, no less than with stealing. And so let's get down to brass tacks, to the nitty gritty right now, should we? Out of the examples that we gave earlier, <laughs> how do we actually make restitution? How do we cease and make restitution? You know, if you steal somebody's ideas or words or truth, to me it seems that at the very least you should own it, admit it, Confess it. Don't make excuses. And if you're in the public view, maybe you need to take a little bit of time to get your spirit right. Some of you who are aware of these issues know exactly what I'm talking about. There are, are pastors, quite frankly, way too many of them, that plagiarize on a regular basis. They take ideas, thoughts, and words that aren't theirs, and yet they preach sermons or write books and make it sound like they are theirs. I'm really thankful for the publisher I had with my two books, Baker. Man, they were rabid about that. Myself and my little team, uh, Kathy and Brian, we literally spent probably 100 hours at Baker's demand running down everything I wrote in that book. And if I referenced anybody, we had to prove where it came from. They were just making sure there is nothing of plagiarism in that. And quite frankly, when pastors get caught plagiarizing, I think that's the crack in the foundation, my personal opinion. There's just more going on there. So at the very least, we don't need to shame them, but admit it, confess it, own it. And then maybe there's a need to take a little bit of time to get your spirit right. Because something's not right when we do that. We're stealing. Now let's move on to you. How about allegiance? How about when you steal allegiance from another person. So uh, again, I'll, I'll pick on Ed here, and then I'll go Carrie again. So, so, so you know, I, I, Ed and Carrie are friends, and, and, and I don't like what Ed did, and so I, I basically say, you know what, Ed, Ed, I don't like the fact that you did that, and I say to Carrie, you know, you shouldn't be friends with Ed. You shouldn't, here's what he did. And, and again, I, you know, I, usually when we do that, it's grossly unfair, it's an overreaction, we're being emotional. So how do I make that one right when God convicts me? Now watch this, I gotta do two things. First thing I gotta do to make restitution is go to my buddy Ed and say, I'm so sorry for what I did. Man, I was mad at you, I was ticked, I even maybe thought you did do this, but what I did was unfair and it was wrong. And I ask your forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there, because then I gotta go to Carrie and say, you know what I said about Ed? Dude, I was wrong. It was just unfair for me to say that, and, 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 and I wish I'd never done that. Do you see what I did there? To make restitution, simply means to do your best to make it right. Some of you are going, I don't like this. I knew you wouldn't. 
But that's what God asks us to do. Same thing when you, when you t- take away somebody's dignity. You go to the person. You humbly apologize for what you did. And how do you make restitution there? Here's what I've done. Whenever I've dressed down somebody unfairly and God's convicted me of it, I've gone to them. I then say, and in order to make restitution, I'm gonna do my darndest in the power of the Holy Spirit to never do that to you again. I promise as best I can not to do that. When you steal somebody's credit, credit was due, that was due to them, you gotta admit it, confess it, apologize, and then doesn't this make sense? Give credit where credit is due. Repent. Same with God's glory. When we steal God's glory, he's full of forgiveness for it. But then repent by saying, let's give glory where glory is due. It wasn't mine to take, it's his. You see, here's, here's what we know. It's easy to say cease and provide restitution. It's not complicated. It's just really hard to do. And let me share with you why it's so hard to do, because I know what some of you are feeling right now. You're thinking of situations in your life, I don't know if I can do that. Here's why it's so hard. It's humbling to do that. The word humble, you know, essentially means to have a right estimation of yourself, or it can also mean to have a low or lower estimation of yourself, not in a low self-image, but it means that when you've messed up and you want to seek somebody else's forgiveness, you got to bow a little bit. You got to get a little bit lower and say to them, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. But you see, a lot of people try to give apologies this way. I'm sorry. I'm only human. You know, and it's like, does that really feel like an apology? No, this feels like an apology. When you get humble, and you get a little lower and say, I'm so sorry about what I did. It's just that that is risky. That's no fun. But here's what you don't know. It's the pathway to God. James 4, 6 says this. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's one of the only passages in all the New Testament where it says, if you do this, God will give you his grace. His grace is mysterious, it's unmerited favor, but all along comes this passage and says, but if you do this, his grace will be upon you. And so again, the worst that can happen for some of you today, if you go to apply this, is that the other person isn't gonna listen to you. Right, Scott? Like the other person will say, well, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't have done that, and I don't forgive you, da, 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 da. But you know what, even if that's the worst that could happen, you took the high road, amen? You applied Romans chapter 12, where it says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And you're right with God. And wouldn't you rather be in that place rather than digging a hole and trying to bury it? That's adolescent. This is what mature Christ followers do. So my only hope out of today is that we start to hear a lot of stories of humble Christ followers who not only stop stealing, but were willing to do their best to make amends and to find some restitution. You know, when I first told people, um, probably six months ago, what I was planning for the fall series, and I was gonna do a series on the Ten Commandments. It was really funny, and I'm okay with this. I'm a big enough boy, but I, I would tell people, hey, I'm preaching on the Ten Commandments. Staff, people, elders, everybody, and they'd be like, oh. Well, as long as you're happy. You know, it was kind of like that response, you know. And I could tell they were like, the Ten Commandments, I mean, shouldn't they just be on the courthouse wall and let's forget about them? You know, we just, we have no conception how these things apply to us. And yet, all glory to God, now that we're three quarters of the way through the series, I've had more people say to me, I never knew. 
I never knew how rich these are. And, and though we, they're not there to earn God's favor, they're not there to, for salvation purposes, we already established that, they, they do become one of the sources of our sanctification to becoming more like Christ, to becoming the men and women he wants us to be. And they're so rich in their application. Don't steal anything <laughs> that's not yours. And when you do, just stop. You got the power in you through the spirit to do that and humble yourself. Do your best to make some restitution. At the very least, you're gonna be in that sweet spot with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words from your word in which, God, as we trace all the scriptures here, we realize how rich of an application it is to not steal. Lord, my guess is that there are some of us who have literally been stealing possessions this week, and certainly we know that we need to stop doing that, come clean, and, and face the music for that. But God, my guess is the vast majority of us need to see this in a more fuller, more richer light. And God, I pray that as you speak to our spirits, as you cause us to be men and women who take the high road, the road less traveled, the narrow gate, I pray, God, that you would go before us and at the very least, Lord, make us glad that we followed you even into turbulent waters because our righteousness, your glory, does depend on this. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.